fancy. Uh, so here's what's interesting about this. I don't even really know what I'm gonna talk about today, and I slept about two hours last night. So if you wanna talk about having to hand all the glory to God, this is what you're in for today. Because there's absolutely no way that this is gonna be in me. This has got to be in him. So I used to always get my messages very on point, my three points, everybody's probably heard this, because um, it made me more comfortable when you're in this type of a setting and have to talk in front of people if you've got notes and got something to hold on to. But part of learning how to trust in God is to trust that it's through him, it's who he is, and I'm here just delivering a message from him. I don't want to be about me. And so I don't really care to need to have my notes anymore to make me have something to fall back on. I just want to say, God, I'm here. I'm your vessel. What do you want to say? What do these people in this room need? And so I think if I was to go into a three-point message, that's going to come out of Sarah. And uh, I want to be spirit-led for what this room needs. And my original vision with these events, because they're going on monthly, basically, uh, they're going to hold it here once a month, like a freedom type event. So my thought was going to be they were going to build on each other. But what I'm realizing is this is all new people from last time. There's not like any of the new, any of the other people, which is kind of a trip. Oh, there's two, or no, there's four. <laughs> yeah, there's like, okay, there's maybe like six people. But I still don't feel like, I still am not anybody who can ever repeat the same message. I've never done it in my life. It always comes out differently no matter what, however I present it, because it's specific for the room. So I'm like, I, I think that's probably why God didn't give me what it would be. So, because I listened to my message from last time, and I did not ever plan to talk on a seed. So I talked about the seed and the sower a lot. And that was not the plan for the message. I don't think I, oh, I thought I was going to be talking about the wisdom of God. And I ended up talking about the devil, like the entire time. So the people in that room need to hear about the, de the devil, clearly, is what was coming out of my mouth. And when I went back and listened to the message, I was like, I, it was pretty, like, good. Like, I was like, I did this whole message about a seed that I had never even thought of before. So when I was thinking what I'm going to do this time, I went back to that message and was like, okay, I'm going to build on the seed and the sower. So let's just see. Let's just see what Jesus wants to do. I will. I am going to, I do want to talk about, okay, I'm going to put somebody on the spot. Beth, you're getting it. <laughs> just because I love you and you do this to people too. So if you are coming to this event, what is your desire to want? Okay. Is it a, was it a specific thing of the topic of freedom or was it you just needed something for yourself? I think stepping into a new season, hearing that he is in it, he's for me, he's got it taken care of. That changes on the horizon for me and for my surrounding, but he is my anchor, and so I can step boldly into I guess I need to hear about boldness and courage and that side of facing fear. Okay. That, and freedom from, I don't need to be afraid of what he's calling me to step into. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I answer that is because when it comes to the topic of freedom, when it comes to the topic of deliverance, inner healing, or what people say or label maybe the ministry that I do of uh, being, is that sometimes it gets boxed in for what it is. Because what I just believe is that God has a message from, for us, everybody, all the time, that will result in freedom. No matter what it is, if you hear from his voice, the results will be freedom. But there's always opposition to the word of God and his voice. Always. And how do we know that to be true? Because you have to understand that from the get-go, from the get-go in scripture, from Genesis, we were introduced to the devil. 
And what I think is funny is that the devil doesn't get talked about much in church when he was one of the very first characters in the, in the Bible. Uh, sometimes we like to stay away from it because it freaks people out. But what I've come to find out in my own life is that I listen to many, many other voices that I thought were my own or that I thought were God's. And it can be some of the sneakiest things that you would ever imagine. Some people who deal with, deal with just uh, self-hatred, like just a spirit where you look in the mirror and you beat yourself up every day. Every time, every time you look at yourself, you see what is wrong with you. Let me tell you something. That's not you. That's the devil. You want to know something interesting about the devil? The devil actually doesn't know looks, doesn't see beauty. I'm not going to tell you how I know that, okay? Because <laughs> that's going to be weird. And I, that's not something I can line up scripturally, so we'll just put that. Because I believe God saw beauty. I mean, because at least he talks about it. I mean, scripture talks about that there are beautiful people and stuff like that. But one thing I know about the enemy, and I believe, is they do not see beauty. They do not see looks. What do they see? They see that you see looks. They see what you see. The enemy sees what you see. The enemy sees what you put on a pedestal higher than what you see over here. Where is your focus at? The enemy pays attention to your focus. And what does he do? He will grab your focus and he will make it and illuminate it. He will make it bigger. He will take what you are looking at. When you think about an idol in, in the Old Testament, here's the thing about idols and stuff that we, we tend to stay away from. See, I don't know where I'm going. This is like stuff just comes out of my mouth, okay? I don't know where I'm going right now. Okay, but idols, right? We have in the Old Testament that there was idolatry. There was witchcraft. Yet, today, idolatry and witchcraft would not be talked about. Because if it was talked about, who are you going to put? Satanists or something? Or idolatry, what is that? Idolatry is anything you put above God. Idolatry can be your own image. Idolatry can just be the focus of stuff. The focus of need. The focus of wanting something above him. So what does that do? That directs the way that you see something. It directs your heart. And it directs something that is going to be on the inside of you. And what does the enemy do? The enemy will attach to that focus to that direction and distort it. So what, does, what comes out of that distortion? Distortion of promises. Distortion of the word of God. Spirits of fantasy. Let me tell you about a spirit of, a spirit of fantasy, how that works. This is gonna mess with some people. If, if you ever go on Facebook and think that a guy is hot and go look at his picture and then all of a sudden, or maybe you're on like a dating app or you start talking to a guy maybe through social media or women, sorry boys, I know there's guys in here too, sorry. Sometimes I get super directed because all right here is women. And I start pounding the chicks and I need to pound the men. I see you too. <laughs> and there's some in the back. <laughs> and all of a sudden, are you going to date with a guy? And all of a sudden, he's your husband. He's your husband that day. Christians, we know that to be true. Christian girls, oh my gosh. Like, I heard from God. Jesus told me. And all of a sudden, the fantasy comes in. All of a sudden, the thinking and ooh, and playing this little dream thing. That yes, there is a promise on your life. And yes, you may know from God that God said that this is yours. But all of a sudden, you get in your own desire. You get in your own flesh of what you want something to be. And what happens? You can create soul ties. You can create unhealthy relationships. You can create unhealthy ties with people because your mind took you to a focus that distorted truth. Because in truth, it's always good. What does the enemy want to do? He wants to take truth and make it seem a little better when it's not. How do we know that? When he tempted Adam and Eve, what did he tempt them with? Their identity, who they were, and that what God said wasn't really true, a partial truth. That they would be like God if they did eat from the tree. They would know good and evil. 
That was partially true. Their eyes were open to good and evil. Their eyes were also open to shame and condemnation and embarrassment of who they were. All of a sudden, they're clothed in animal skins because they saw themselves through the eyes of deception. Because they were created in the image of Christ that did not carry shame. It was perfection in the truth and the promises that God placed on Adam and Eve's life. But they had an opportunity to take a seed from the enemy to tell them that something was better than what God had actually given them. They're given the Garden of Eden to walk in perfection with the Father, and they get offered over here, go do this and you're going to get that. And it sounded better. And when they took that decision, everything shifted on them because of the better. We get opportunities every single day in our life to take seeds from the enemy, to shift our focus on what he's really trying to tell you, what God's really trying to show you, to distort a truth in your life. But how are you going to know if there's a distortion to truth? You've got to know truth. And you also have to understand conviction over condemnation. And here's what I mean by that. There's Holy Spirit conviction when you grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? I think some people always looked at, you grieve the Holy Spirit when you sin. Yeah, 100% you grieve the Holy Spirit when you sin. But you want to know what grieves God worse? When you take your focus off him. When you look to another promise. When you look to another truth. That's what grieves his heart. More than if you went over there and had sex out of marriage. More than if you did drugs. He grieves that you turned your face from him. And the enemy, what does he want to do? He wants to guilt and shame. What was the result of Adam and Eve taking the seed from Satan? Guilt and shame. They saw themselves through the eyes of sin, through the eyes of darkness. But if we don't know truth and we don't understand conviction over condemnation and we don't understand his voice over the lie, then when a voice comes in that is the opposite to his voice, we don't identify it and we don't take authority over it. We grab onto it believing that it's us. Believing that that's just true. How does rejection get into somebody's life? The seed of rejection, what my experience is, the seed of rejection always comes in childhood. My, my mom committing suicide, the seed of rejection, instantly came in. Instantly. Because what are you, I mean, you going to say? Your parent chose to took, take their life and not take care of you. And there's things that she said before she did it. Instantly, 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 instantly. And there was no filter. There was no guard. There was no opportunity to know truth. Why do you think it's so important for a parent to cover your child's ears? To speak truth over them. To speak life. Because the moment a seed comes in, it's going to hit the filter of truth. It won't be able to penetrate the heart of that child. So I had, the, I had an opportunity to take a seed of rejection from my mom committing suicide. <coughs> Instantly I swallowed it. I lived my entire life that anything that happened to me, I was always rejected. When it comes to rejection, there's many types of rejection. There's fear of rejection, there's self-rejection, there's generational rejection, uh, there's, and there's a, like a, gen, a, a, a perceived rejection. All of those are all different I may talk about that Monday, actually, 
because I think I'm speaking here Monday and I want to speak on fear and I want to go into like breaking that down a little bit more. You don't understand how the enemy works in rejecting you, getting you to reject yourself, getting people to reject you, setting you up into a place. Why? Why? Because you're accepted. You've been chosen. You've been seen. You are ordained in the spirit realm. You are in the heavenlies. You are standing next to the throne with Jesus Christ. You are an heir to the throne. Do you understand that every demon in hell sees what's on your life? Sees it. Give you an example of that. The story. This will be interesting to you. Mm. There is a missionary. Did I tell this last time? Anybody remember about a missionary? And I guess it doesn't matter. You clearly don't remember if I did. Okay. When I was in Bible school, there was this missionary. He was telling about how he went. I feel, maybe I just tell it a lot. I feel like I just told it. He was over in like somewhere like Africa or something like that, dealing with witch, like major witchcraft. And they're sitting there evangelizing these people, some of these people that were into the Satanism, witchcraft, and stuff over there. And just FYI, when I say witchcraft and Satanism, and that's, no, it's down the block. It's like two doors down. <laughs> like, it's all over the place. It just hides. It hides in yoga. It hides in Reiki. It hides in all those different things. There's so much that we just don't understand about the spirit realm, but I won't. I'll shut up. Filters on. So... They go in and they go to this, this missionaries go to this place and they're uh, evangelizing and getting these people, the witches, that some get converted, some don't. The ones that got converted said, we were able to see the ones that walked in and knew who they were in the spirit realm. We saw it on them, supernaturally from the demons. We also saw the ones that didn't know and we could attack them. And there's testimonies I hear about this of a guy named John Ramirez who has a deliverance ministry and can go into detail about that being true. How there's Christians who sit in church every day and the enemy knows the ones that he can go after that have no idea their identity. They have no idea their spiritual position, so they stay in a place of lack. I mean, the biggest, biggest, biggest thing that transformed my life and shifted my life was understanding, understanding, 10% of understanding. I'm so not going to act like I really have any type of big revelation on identity. It's beyond, beyond, beyond our comprehension. The revelation that Paul carried was to the extent that we can't comprehend. And he was sent a, a thorn in the flesh, flesh, a messenger from Satan. I think it's 2 Corinthians 12, but I misquote scripture all the time. So don't take me for that. I'm trying to get better at that, especially because I'm being filmed. I'd be interested if it is. I'll be stoked if it's 2 Corinthians 12. Somebody should tell me. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. <laughs> so, 2 Corinthians 12, I believe, is where it talks about a messenger from Satan as a thorn in the flesh because Paul is taken to the third heaven. You know, he doesn't fully tell what he saw, what he experienced, what Paul gained when he went and got this revelation. The reason that I believe... I did? Yeah! <laughs> I got it right. I'm trying to get so much better at it. The reason that I believe it was identity in Christ and righteousness, because he is the main apostle in the New Testament that speaks the most about it, that speaks the most about his right standing, that speaks the most about who we are in Christ. He wrote the most epistles that carry any of that type of language. And he said to have had three years on the back desert, spending time and getting revelation from God, I believe, before he fully goes into his ministry. So I believe part of this huge revelation that he got when he went to the third heaven, the things that he heard that he couldn't talk about, had to do with who he is in Christ. 
But because he had such revelation, and he, this is, okay, you can't really prove in that scripture. Maybe they can. I'm sure there's theologians out there that could, what, it, what they're talking about. But I know he had huge revelation, his entire ministry of his identity and who he was. But he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Now, there's two main beliefs on what this messenger from Satan was. There's one that believed it was persecution. Everywhere that he went, it was persecution. Mm. I don't believe that. Why? Because we all get persecuted. If you are doing the will of God, you will get persecuted. If you are doing what God wants you to do, you will be in opposition. Do you know what I endure just to do this? Because the enemy doesn't like it. So I believe that's just an element of what we do when we're called. So I don't see that as being the messenger. Others believe it was something to do with eyesight. And I don't know what it was, nor do I have a strong opinion. I don't believe it was persecution just because of that personal opinion for me. But what it does show me is this man carried such a mighty revelation of his identity that something had to keep him humble. There must have been some pride that would come from knowing who you really are, right? There's got to be something that would come from man. This is what, God? I really am seated in the heavenly realms. I really am an heir to your son. I really can stomp the head of the devil every day. You're telling me that all these covenant promises that are in scriptures are mine? You're telling me that everything in this book is mine as a love letter to me? That's what you're saying? Yeah, I can see where some pride would get in. It's too bad we get pride from our, who we are. We're so cool. We're just good. That's where pride comes. Why do we get pride and proud of what, who God is? Why isn't that taking us to a place? Amen. Because we are so easily conformed by this world. We're so easily conformed. God wants us to be transformed by him. Amen. Transformed by how? The renewing of your mind. How do we renew our minds? You better know what you're telling your mind. You better know what your mind's thinking on. In Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It will expose your innermost thoughts. What does that mean? If the word of God isn't moving in your life, then you are a very boring Christian. <laughs> and I don't want to be around you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the word of God is power. And it moves. So the word of God will sever. It will cut. You know, in scripture, it's talked about maybe four places being a sword. Ephesians, it's talked about in Revelations, out of Jesus' mouth, a sword. What does that mean? That it's a weapon to be used. If the word of God is not being used in your life like that, then you won't struggle with pride in your identity in him. You'll struggle with self-hatred and needing the world to conform you because it makes you feel better. Because that's what makes us feel better. Our, our human minds, our human man, what makes us feel better is what's nice and, and uh, pretty out here in the world. But when we get our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart lightened to know the hope of our calling the, the invitation from God, that word calling in Ephesians 1.18, that word calling, it means an invitation. I'm not talking about your calling to ministry. We're talking about the invitation from the Father to take hold of every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Woo! That is ours. Amen. 
Every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1, like 5 or something. <laughs> I, I believe it's somewhere in there. It's a bunch of something. Every spiritual blessing that is ours. That we have the ability to grab hold of that, to take hold of that. When the eyes of our heart are enlightened, when there isn't a hardening of the heart, when there isn't a resistance, when there isn't a blinding to truth, when the ears aren't deaf and the eyes aren't blinded. I'm going to go to the parable of the sower. So I did, I did kind of know what I was going to do. Because I so kind of botched it last time. I called the thorns pokey ground. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even go to scripture last time. I just was like, I'm so off the cuff. I'm freaking fiery. Okay. Mark 4, 9 through 20. When I start reading scripture, I'll just start going off on tangents. So get ready. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them. Wait, hold on. Oh, he's giving the explanation. Do I want that? Yeah, that's fine. I'm going to give the explanation to the actual parable. I'm not going to read the parable. Is that okay? You guys know that parable, right? Okay, I'll read the parable. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth and immediately it sprang up. Because, so he's talking about when, when the seed was falling on the ground, okay? Because it had no depth of the earth, but when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground. And it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let them hear. So then they want to understand, what does this mean, Jesus? What are you talking about? He says, so the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, that's just prophetic for the Jewish nation. So then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmers sows the word. Some people are like a seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown into them. Like the seed sown on rocky paths, hear the word and once receive it with joy. But since they had no root, they only have it for a short time. So you have an instantaneous where you will get a word. Where you get a word, and instantaneously the enemy will steal it. Now, how does that happen? In a church atmosphere, it happens that it happens in the spirit realm is quickly stolen from somebody. I can tell when somebody has it on them, the way they look. I have convinced myself it's not because they dislike me. I convinced myself it's because they have demons. <laughs> and that may just be because I don't want to admit that they don't like me. I'm like, you got demons. You got demons, and I can tell you got demons. You're giving me dirty looks. That's what I told myself. <laughs> I feel like it's a legit theory. Okay. So, and when the seed won't even be taken, they can't even hear truth. Sometimes what triggers not being able to take truth is because you get triggered something from your past and you get offended when that's the spirit. That's the spirit. You're offended by the word. Jesus offended a lot of people in John 6. He invented everybody. Everybody left but his disciples. They couldn't take the word that he said, you have to eat me and drink me. It's not about the miracles. It wasn't about him releasing the power. He's saying, you must eat me and drink me. I am the bread of life. He offended them. The Jews always wanted to see power. They always needed to see power. Jesus was walking power. Amen. He said, you got to eat me. 
And dude, I just fed 4,000 people. Like that also trips me out that they're like, and he's doing all these miracles. They wanted more. He's like, well, how about this? Eat my body. Drink me every day. Okay, you offended us. That's a little too much, God. You want me on my knees before you? You want me face down in front of you, giving up my entire life to see your will come to pass? You called me to be like Jesus? Your son gave up his life for God, then for us. That's what I believe. His life was laid down for the Father, but he loved us, Jesus. He laid it down for us, but it was the will was to the Father. Do you lay down your life to the Father to see the will laid out in your life in every single area? That it's sacrifice. It's painful. But the joy set before you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. To eat, to drink, to know Jesus to that place, that any seed that comes cannot ever be stolen. It will take root. Because the depth of your heart is rooted and established in his love because you eat and drink him. Now, I know that there was a time in my life that people would think that I ate and drank him, and I didn't because I ran a ministry And it would come across, well, if she's doing this, she must live on bended knee every day. Now, an element of my life did. I chose a long time ago, I was done. I chose a long time ago that I would never put anybody else before the Father. I made that decision. When that decision was made, it was made. But I didn't understand what it fully meant to eat and drink him. What it fully meant to be in such a place of when things don't make sense, I'm going to get on my knees before you. And I'm going to say that you're good, and I'm going to say that you're faithful, even in the tears. Seeds were easier to recognize. His voice became more clear because I heard his voice over the other. I began to know the voice over the other. And then all of a sudden, seeds were not able to penetrate that they were before. Now, you have somebody who can't take it at all. There's such a resistance. Truth is just there's nobody in here I can tell. So, that's good. Nobody's mad talking to me. You guys all like me. I like it. I didn't didn't have it on the last one. I can pick it up like so easy. I want to throw a dart at it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, Yeah. But there's nobody in here. There's nobody mad dogging me. What did you say? Hallelujah. I don't do anything. I don't say anything. I maybe do a little bit. Okay. What was I saying? What was I saying? You messed me up. I'm just kidding. Okay. The seed. Okay. There's certain people. There's absolutely full hardcore resistance. You cannot get it. The word is not received. Then he continues to go, and then he says that the that it falls on what is it? Uh, the stony ground, <laughs> pokey ground, <laughs> the rocky places. They hear the word, 
and they receive it with joy. It sounds good. The word sounds good. You ever get your, your good feeling message on your Sunday, last you till Monday? You feel a little better? Yeah, I feel good. I'm going to go to lunch after church. We're going to talk about how good that preaching was. And then the next day, crap hits the fan, and you scream at God and question who he is. And you're mad. Offense takes root. Why? Because you don't eat and drink him every day to know who he is that would block that seed from touching you. The joy. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have pain. It doesn't mean that we don't question God. I still will rant at God. I am not all mighty and mighty and holy. I still have my times where I go, God, are you kidding me? That's okay. We're human and he knows that. Even Jesus, even Jesus felt forsaken on the cross in his human form and questioned, why, God, have you forsaken me? It's okay to question God. Where do you go with it? Where does the seed go? And then he talks about persecution comes. Persecution. Instantaneously something happens in your life. You absolutely forgot the word that was sown into you. There's no depth. There's no root. And then he says the ones that have soil. The ones that have depth, where does the depth come? That they're rooted and established in my love. Now, one thing about the love of God that I, like, done so many messages on the love of God because it was the only thing that ever got me out of my stuff. Meaning nothing made me turn my face away until I actually saw and believed that God maybe loved me at least 5%. That was all I needed. That was all I needed when he came from the death that I came from. And he felt that God allowed it all. In a pastor's home. He allowed it all. That's what it felt like. So if he allowed it, then did he steal it? Was he part of it? So you can imagine the years of the courting that I've needed from the Father to remove all the seeds of darkness that I've swallowed my entire life. Seed after seed, knife after knife into my gut of believing things against who God is because of the things that I've seen. Now, some of you who can't relate to the death or who don't even know my story, my mom and sister both died, and then I was stalked for years from a super crazy abusive guy. Uh, I was a drug addict, and I was bipolar, and so I had a lot of things that I could take in that were darkness. Darkness, 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 darkness. And... It took years and years and years to even get to hear truth and let it penetrate. Because the moment somebody said something to me, I couldn't take it because there were too many dark seeds in me that were resistant, but I was desperate. Let me tell you something about desperation. You may have a lot of darkness and crap on you. You got desperation, you're good. Desperation, desperation leads to freedom. Desperation keeps you on your knees. Desperation is what I like in my stuff. <laughs> They're the best people. Desperate people want more. Amen. It's okay to be desperate. Jesus. It's okay to be desperate. It's okay to be in need. Why? 
Because sometimes God allows us to be in need a lot longer just because he's excited to fulfill it with so much power and glory because he's sat in need for a long time. It's okay. There should be a bigger expectation when you sit in desperation for a long time. You know what I believe the redemption on my life is beyond comprehension because I sat in need for years and years and years. So I got a big expectation, God, with what you're going to do. I expect to kill every demon in every room I go because of it. <laughs> That's the redemption on my life. What do you have expecting from him? What do you want from him? Then get desperate. Get desperate for it. And watch what he does. Knowing his love isn't in the promises. It is not in the blessings. If that were true, then Jesus' life would mess you up. He loved Jesus. That, that's his son. Yet he called his son to sacrifice his life. And yet we see God's love boxed in. Who got the good life? Who got the good family? Who got the kids? Who got this? Who didn't experience death? Who hasn't been cheated on? Who hasn't lost their job? Who's financially prosperous? They're loved more. That's how I felt. I was loved less because of my life. I was seen less. If that's the way we perceive God's love, then he didn't love Jesus. The twisted thing, the foolishness of God, is the opposite of human reasoning and human wisdom. The foolishness of God is through the sacrifice of Jesus. It doesn't make sense that he called his son to do it. Yet that was a perfect love. That was a perfect love. How did Jesus fulfill that call without any resentment? And some of you say, well, he's God. No, he was in human form. So he had human emotions. He could have gotten offended by the Father because he said over and over in Scripture in the Gospels, not your will, Father, but my, your, not my will, your will be done. I'm not speaking my words. I'm speaking his words. I came to show his face. That type of love, he knew the Father. He knew the Father. He had no questions that the Father didn't love him beyond measure. But he knew the Father's love was so big, the Father had to have more. And the, the Father got more through Jesus. And Jesus knew that love. Knew that love. Knew that these people don't know this love because they're rejecting me. They don't understand it. They don't comprehend it. That's the foolishness of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the foolishness of God is through the gospel. It will put to shame the wisdom of this world. Your human reasoning will be put to shame by that type of love because it doesn't make sense. He calls him to lay down his life, sacrifice him. Now you have a child. Could you have a big enough love in you to want all the orphans over there and ask your child to die for it and watch them die? Some people want to distort God as being abusive. And I know that. Do you know that even Christians have that distortion in their mind? How do I know that? I did. I could love Jesus. I did not know how to love God. I saw God as sacrificing Jesus. Here's the thing about seeds. Some of them are so dark and so small that some of us don't know that we filter differently the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God. God usually aligns to your at-home father. So you'll have a twisted view of God. God's the almighty judge. Jesus, you're maybe more open to or maybe you can't have a relationship with Jesus. You have more relationship with God. 
And you actually don't even know the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But there are people like that. Like, they haven't been introduced to that part. They can distort the different characteristics of the Father, the three in one, when they're all the same. So I didn't understand if I was willing to understand who Jesus was and, and know Jesus that I was also knowing the Father. No, to me, God sacrificed Jesus like he was sacrificing me to be a story. God was just a little different. God's character was just a little bit more twisted. The foolishness of man, the human wisdom of man can't comprehend that type of love until the Holy Spirit comes in here and unveils the heart to see the love that God actually did through choosing Jesus, through having it be through Jesus, by having him be the one that would lay down his life to get us. But if we really think on things, which I do, and I like to tear it apart with my brain, then I was confused by God. That didn't make sense to me. God then hurts. God then plays games. God then will take from you real quick. He'll be okay with this over there. That person gets this, but you don't get that. And that's the seed. That's the seed. Jesus had no seeds, even though he laid down his life in the most horrific death for the Father. Not one seed penetrated him in human form. How is that? Well, he was God. No, he was human form. He aligned with the will of the Father. He spent time with God. He chose God over everything else. He chose to be alone in the wilderness. He had to talk to the Father of who he was. He was God in human form. He had to go separate himself when he grieved. I wonder if he vented. I feel like he did. I feel like he may have said to God, align this human nature not my will your will because this human nature feels pain God grieve John the Baptist's death it feels tears of blood would make me think it feels fear his human nature didn't want to endure that didn't want to feel it where did he go before he went to the cross he went to the father to realign so that he could go endure that because he just had to be reminded that the Father was so good and his love was so perfect. And he was going to display it on the earth for every person to take a rain down of seeds of truth, to comprehend a love that is incomprehensible. You can't comprehend that type of love because it's foolishness to the man. It's foolishness. Paul says, I don't come here with lofty words. I don't come here with good sounding reasoning. The Greeks wanted to hear reason. They're philosophers. So that church wanted to hear reason. The Jews wanted to see power. So I don't come with that. I come with the foolishness of God that won't make sense to you. And that will set you free. That's so good. <laughs> Sometimes I want to hear a painful message against the foolishness and the human reasoning of my mind. To set me free of the spiral that I endure daily within my own self. Sometimes you need to hear something that is so beyond understanding to realign with some of the emotions and the things that you may endure in your own life. Right. That make you feel like you're in storms. That make you feel like you don't get it. What is this God? And to be reminded 
that Jesus, the joy set before him, he was glorified, raised from the dead, and every demon in hell was made a spectacle. And he went back to his glorified form, now reigns and rules. His name cries, the blood of Jesus cries. Every knee bows. Did Jesus not get glorified through his sacrifice? He stole back the, king, the, the keys from hell. Talk about getting your redemption when you listen to the Father. Some of you just need to go full circle. Sometimes it's just taking, this sucks, I'm going to make sure I see the redemption. Anytime something comes against you, you have an opportunity to grab a promise immediately in the moment. Amen. In the moment. Amen. What happens? People don't grab promises in, in hard things. You don't grab promises. What do you grab? Offense and resentment. Fear, rage, anger. That's what you grab. You instantly grab that seed. Anytime you come into anything in your life that makes you question God, is a struggle, is a fear, is anything, the moment it enters into your life, the moment a bad thing comes into your life, the moment that person died, the moment my sister died, a promise got dropped from heaven on me. A promise got dropped from heaven. Why? God does not let us fail. He will not let us fail. He is a redeemer. He is a restorer. He will give back double everything. But there are some promises you will not see fulfilled in your life because you never grabbed hold of it. And then there's some that are absolutely placed on your life. There's nothing you can do about it. I 100% believe that to be true. I know that there were things placed on my life that I could have, I don't know, did every drug in hell and God would have seen it come to pass. The fact I ended up in Bible school, like five months off drugs. That was a promise that no demon in hell could, could have done anything about. Like, a promise of deliverance. A promise of, she's going to still get my truth. You know, I was suicidal before I went in there. When I was in North Carolina, before I ended up in Bible school, I relapsed. I was suicidal. I wanted to, like, kill myself out there. I didn't know what the hell was happening to my life. And then I meet some random girl, like the opposite of me, blonde, bubbly, wears flowers. <laughs> I'm going to Bible school with this chick. And I pick up and I drive across the states, never lived in Oklahoma. Five years later, I look back and go, holy smokes, God. That was a promise nobody could have stolen. How the heck did you do that? When I was running from a man who was stalking me. And that's what you did. You redeemed it. That was a promise from heaven no person was able to pray for. No person was able to claim. That was a promise of redemption on my life that came to pass. And then there's promises that come from obedience. There's covenant promises that you can grab hold of every single day. But through spiritual laws, you only see it through obedience. What's an example? Bitterness and rage. Resentment. Unforgiveness. Going to bed without forgiving somebody. What happened? You took a seat of bitterness. What happened? You will not receive a covenant promise of peace because you broke a spiritual law. That's an easy example. There's so many more that when it comes to spiritual laws in the spirit realm of things that we can do when we walk in obedience and we release things on our lives. I'm good with the grace message. I was in it a lot in Tulsa. Now, when I say grace message, there is a sect of people that call it it's a grace type of gospel. Well, the gospel is grace. So sometimes that doesn't make sense, but that's just how they've been categorized. Sometimes people receive the word of grace a little too much, meaning they take it and run with it and think they can live any way because there's grace. Now, I'm very middle ground with that. Why? Because 
I would then be smoking heroin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, but I'm just saying, like you can take too much grace and be okay and go do this over there and think you're good because there's grace. And then you got the legalism over here that's telling you to do this, this, and this, and they're just as bound. There are spiritual laws. It, has, it is not about God keeping things from us. It is not about God keeping it from us. It is not about his anger, his judgment, his rage at you. It is about his protection on your life to keep you in intimacy with him that no seed would be sown in you that would make you not eat or drink him. That's what it is. That's the spiritual laws. It's just he is holy. Perfect In him is perfection. To eat and drink him will keep you in that place. It keeps you in a place of grace. Knowing the love of God for me was the only thing and the catalyst to any freedom in my life. Every word that the enemy ever tried to steal was wrapped up in the love of God. Pay attention to the lies you believe and the things that you endure, the belief systems that cripple you. They 100% are wrapped up in his character, which go back to his love. And if we think that we just get that from a Sunday morning sermon, it's impossible. You cannot. And what will happen is that you will be laid out during the week through hits of the enemy through smacks of the enemy because of the words that you believe in your heart that have filtered his character, have filtered his love. Because if you are not able to see that this love is going to be foolish to your natural mind, you can't enter into revelation of it. It will be foolish to your natural mind. It will be incomprehensible. And I challenge people to take hold of promises. You have the opportunity of the things that you've gone through, the things you've experienced. I don't care if it was 20 years ago, and I don't care if it was your fault. Grab the promise attached to it. And they're in the scripture. If you just need one restoration and redemption, it's instantaneous. You can grab that promise, meaning there's some restoration. Now, I didn't understand how on earth would, my, would God restore, like, my sister's death. The, I mean, far above my mom's death, my sister's death, was the one that did me in the most, the darkest, because I was attached to her beyond ever being attached to anyone in my life. She literally was, like, a second half to me. And so when she died, I felt that I lost half my soul. And I understand people, when it comes to grief, when you lose somebody like that, even in divorce, even in loss, like, you feel incomplete, and you feel that nobody understands it, and you feel this depth of darkness and sickness in your stomach, in your heart. It's the absolutely most horrific feeling I couldn't place on anybody. And through all the pain that I had, the darkness of somebody dying that you are that attached to was the absolute most horrific feeling that I had ever had in my life. So I did not know how on earth, God, are you going to restore that? And the first time I ever started believing God for restoration was when I heard a message on Isaiah 
Instead of their shame, they will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And everlasting joy will be theirs. And this was a prophecy over Israel, but it's for the church. Meaning, instead of my shame, I'm going to get a double portion. God, how are you going to restore double for that loss? How are you going to restore double for that? And I think when it came to the redemption of my sister, my, the restoration on my life for that is beyond my understanding. He gives me little glimpses of it. Like how many girlfriends that consider me like a sister? It's like six or seven. Like close, close. And that's not really normal. And I know that. Like most of you give a one best friend. I have like six or seven best, best friends. And that is seriously because of my sister. And I know that. It's just part of God being like, I'm just going to give you this here. I'm going to just cover that here. But there's more. There's so much more. We box God in when it comes to restoration. We, got, we box God in. How would God restore me losing a child? Have you heard the stories of somebody losing twins and then have, getting pregnant with twins? Not that long later. But there's more restoration on that. There's more restoration on it. We box it in. We expect that you're just going to get another baby for that baby that was lost. But what if God's restoration is above and beyond your understanding and how he's going to do it? But your eyes are so blinded to how he works because he works foolishly <laughs> to our natural mind. And so the way that he would want to restore, the way that he's going to redeem something, you haven't even grasped the promise to get to see it. You haven't even said it's mine. Do you know how many I like stand on with expectations of seeing stuff in my life? I don't know how not to. It's unfair. It's unfair. I don't know how to say this is the end of my story. Too many people take the end of their story and they stop. The problem was for me to get an ending and to go with my story actually endured a lot of pain. Walking into restoration and freedom wasn't a release of pain. Why? Every demon in hell wanted to kill me once I started knowing who God was. That's what they're afraid of. They don't want to know you to know who he is because when you know him and when you know his love, you walk in confidence every day and you will Stop the pit of hell. You will stop it because you know who you are. Because you're rooted and you're grounded in him. There's too many things that we don't take hold of. There's too many things that we're not grabbing hold of. If I can say anything for this room, because I can feel it, it's to grab hold of it. To grab hold of a promise. To grab hold of something. One thing that you've lost that you allowed to be a broken dark seed in you. God says grab that seed and crush it and grab a new seed. That's what he's saying. Let me tell you how to expect more for that. Jesus' redemption. (laughs) Oh, beyond his sacrifice and three days of enduring our hell for us who he is you know when you invite his presence in if we understood what happens in the spirit realm when Jesus rolls in the room (laughs) if anybody's ever experienced that before where you sense all of a sudden you can be in places I've had it 
And you know, the presence of Jesus just came into the room. Some of you need to believe that's even possible. And his presence comes in. Everything on you can shift in a moment because of that presence. The glorified form of God that killed everything in hell when he gave up his life, the redemption that he passed down to us that we don't take. Not only what Jesus carried, it's him saying, you're my hands and my feet. Now it's for you to take. And yet we walk around as crippled, broke, confused, because we may get hit with a bat every now and then. And some, it's much more than a bat. Trust me, I understand that. I still endure stuff all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. But I've come to find that in Scripture, so did they. So, who am I to act like my life should be so perfect in roses? If that's you, lucky you. But I want to kill demons. (laughs) So, I'm okay to take it. Because that's my goal. Sometimes we're just too scared. Sometimes we're just too scared. Because sometimes what happens when walking in these things and stepping out of the boat, getting uncomfortable, wanting to see power, the moment that the enemy comes in, it steals it, instantly takes you out. Just like that, you fall flat. Just like that. I hate to be so bossy about it because I tell so many stories about this. But then I start ranting. I'm going to try not to rant about this. But I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And I want to go up to people and shake them. It's okay. It's okay when you endure something. It's okay when this doesn't make sense. It's okay when you feel like the rug got pulled out from under you. You know what God told me? Stop standing on a rug. (laughs) Straight up. I'm serious. Stop standing on a rug because I kept going to him. But it feels like you keep pulling the rug out from under me. Why? Why does this keep happening? Stop standing on a movable rug. Right? When it feels like something gets pulled out from under you, there's a place we can run to. Jump on the ground. (laughs) If you're on unshakable ground. When you're rooted and established. Jesus says when you take my word, you'll be like the man who built his house upon a rock. Right? Was that right? (laughs) I feel like that was right. I have that scripture in here. Sometimes I just make stuff up. And people believe me. It's right. It was a rock. Yeah. Don't build it on sand. Build it on a firm foundation. When you take his word, your ground is unmoving. It can't be shaken. But it's okay to shake. We're all going to shake. I still shake. I really legit shake a lot. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> but I shake in, in spiritually too. I go like, oh, God. But if you don't allow the shaking to make you drop to your knees so that you get to see the full redemption of it, 
Allow God to remove the seeds that are in resistance to his knowledge by the foolishness of the gospel message, the foolishness of the love of Christ. Let that foolishness remove the darkness that's been received from your past. The darkness that's been received from people who spoke things over you that don't have one lick of truth in it. That you received through abuse. Specifically, people, but for some reason I'm getting like just really strong. Somebody's super abused by a guy. But that's like any room. Female, everybody gets abused. But it's just for somebody very specific. I can sense it. To know that those words that were said are not true, even if it is your husband that does it to you. It's not God's voice for you. It's not him. He's not specifically... It's like you feel like he's almost like God's attached to it, like allowing it or something. God's not okay with it, actually. He's not okay with abuse. God's not okay with that. No, he's not. And when I hear stories of people saying, like, I'm in an abusive situation, but I believe I'm learning something, so I'm going to stick it out. And I hear people preach that. Well, get with God, and you're the one light there. That is true sometimes. I'm not going to say that all the time. There are a lot of abusive situations you're not supposed to be in. And you're supposed to get out. And sometimes we get bound by words spoken over us. We get bound by what people say. We get bound by fear. We get bound by the fear of money, the fear of being able to move and like move on because we're afraid. But God has that already taken care of. He already has that set up for you. It's not okay. It's not okay. And so sometimes when I hear stuff about abusive situations and that they think that they should just have to stay in it and they're bound to it and they're bound by maybe whatever with the spouse or something, it's just not okay. Okay, I'm done with that. Sorry. That was something. Okay. Jesus, am I done? <laughs> okay, hold on. Hmm. I believe with every dark seed that you can take, we have opportunities of our entire past. Everything that we see can be from the smallest and can be from the biggest. can be from one of the biggest things that you can imagine. One of the biggest things, like something like I've seen, like death. It's so obvious. It's so in your face. You can't even understand. And instantly there's a seed. And then there's the tiny thing over there that creates the seed every single day that you don't know that you're taking in. And what's happening is that the seed that's already in you is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it turns into a physical manifestation because of it. Meaning that you're believing so much death and so much things in your life that it has physically harmed you. And that you don't actually know that the physical thing that you're dealing with is actually because of believing something that was not and is not for you. And they, it comes out in the physical. How do I know that? Because it's happened to me. I know it can be true. Where do you think grief is carried? Anybody have an idea? I would say stomach, neck, potentially. Yeah, those are the things that I got hit with over and over and over again 
because I know that the death that I've carried in my gut for years because I didn't know how to mourn. Here's the thing with mourning. There's true mourning and grief. Jesus did it. And then there's the spirit that puts false mourning on people. False mourning takes you in a space of loss all the time. Meaning it keeps you in a place of loss when you didn't really lose. God protected you in something. And it keeps you in a space of death. So it keeps you in a space of mourning something that actually when it gets removed off of you, the false grief and loss of it, there's a joy that will come in. The oil of joy for the spirit of mourning, spirit of despair. And then there's grief that happens in a real way that you actually, it is okay to have grief. You do have grief. Because you lost somebody. You may have lost somebody in your life. There is grief attached to it, but there is an attack within that grief, meaning it will keep it on you longer. And there is, through the Spirit of God, an instantaneous ability through grace to remove it off of you and somebody to get healed in their heart of grief. I 100% know that to be true and where the heart can heal. So I want to just say that for people in here who are carrying the spirit of mourning and grief that that's not you and that is actually an attack and that is actually a presence that is on you that makes you feel a darkness and a blackness in your in your soul and it's a, it's a harassing spirit tormenting you to make you feel lost way way deeper and not allowing the spirit of god to heal it it's a seed that was taken in and that's what it manifested into and when God removes that, what happens is that he's going to replace it. He's going to replace it. And you're going to feel the transformation happen. Um, okay. Maybe I'm done now. I'm going to just pray, I guess. <laughs> and then more might come out, but we'll see. <laughs> because I kind of feel like I just want to say like a few things to this. I want to pray over mourning. I want to pray over grief. And for people who want deliverance in that. And some of the things that I called out. And then, yeah, I'm just going to... Um, Minute. Kayla, do you mind just playing a little bit of music? You don't gotta sing. You don't want to. Just a little bit. And then if I ask you, you know, you don't need to come up here, you can just raise your hands if I want if you want. Pray over that. I may call a few things out too, and if you feel led, just raise your hand. Your eye and I just ask everybody to close your eyes.